Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Hey, am I, am I coming through here in the speaker? Okay, I'm just making sure. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us here this morning as uh, we're concluding this series called Empty. And uh, it, it's been a lot of fun doing this series. In fact, if you weren't here last weekend, I just want to tell you, you missed out on an incredible, incredible weekend. Uh, in fact, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message online. I didn't speak, so I can I can talk highly about it. Like it was a life changing message for a lot of people. And if if you're dealing with some things in life, specifically when it comes to empty, uh, there was a point that was made, and it was this: is you you can have an empty space in your life, but you don't have to live an empty life. If you want to know how to not live an empty life, I encourage you, go to our website, watch the message, download it on iTunes, listen to it throughout the week. I promise it will transform your life. And so today we're concluding this series, and uh, I had some people over at my house yesterday, and we were hanging out and, and just talking, and, and one of the couples that we had over at our house, I actually had the opportunity to perform their wedding. And so their, their anniversary had just taken place is about four years ago. And so we were going around, we were just talking about like, hey, how long has everybody been married for? And, and uh, it got me thinking about weddings in particular because uh, when people are getting ready to have, get married, there is so much joy that comes with weddings. There's so much anticipation for that wedding day. People are, are like on edge because it's one of those days that people have dreamed about all their life, especially women. I, not a lot of guys are like dreaming of their wedding day, uh, maybe their wedding night, but not their wedding day. And so, uh, but, but women in particular, from a young age, they dream about that day they're going to get married. And so there's a lot of anticipation for that moment. And, and this is what I've learned about weddings. Weddings are, are difficult because there is so much anticipation and expectation. Uh, people expect to have the most incredible day they've ever had. And so having done a lot of weddings in my life, over 200 at this point, uh, I've seen some of the most incredible, beautiful weddings. I mean, that are now like showpieces for different venues that like, this is the epitome of what a wedding looks like. And then I've seen some actual huge train wrecks at weddings. And uh, I love being a part of a beautiful wedding, but it's almost as interesting being part of a train wreck as it is uh, a beautiful one. And, and when a wedding kind of train wrecks, there's some interesting things that can happen in those moments. I, I was a part of one ceremony where the groom actually fainted in the middle of the ceremony. You want to talk about changing uh, kind of the dynamic of that wedding party. Uh, another one where the groomsmen... Uh, Somebody told them to go trim the candle uh, wicks, and they went and trimmed the candle wicks off of the candles. Uh, how many of y'all know it's hard to light candles when there's no wicks? And so it uh, wasn't a great move. I saw some moms go up and light, try to light the unity candle, and no matter what they did, they could not light the unity candle, which is not a good sign for the marriage. Because they say the longer a unity candle stays lit, the longer that marriage is going to last. So the fact they couldn't even light it meant like this was not going to go well. Uh, I've seen... Mother and mother-in-laws just like lose it on brides, and I've seen bridezilla uh, too many times to, to name. And so weddings are are tense. I mean, and the reason they're so tense is because those expectations are so high. And I think that weddings are a great picture of life when it comes to that, because we all in life have some high expectations. We all start off with some 
some dreams. We have some expectations of what our life is going to look like, what our relationships are going to be like, what our career path is going to be, how we're going to spend our days in life, what we're going to drive, where we're going to live, what kind of person we're going to marry, how many kids we're going to have. We build up all of these things, and then life happens. And when life happens, hopes get dashed, expectations get unmet, uh, hope gets deferred. And the Bible tells us that when those kind of things happen, our heart actually becomes sick. We, we end up hurting inside. And I think it's interesting that the very first thing that we really read about when it comes to Jesus' life is Jesus shows up on scene to a wedding, a place where people's expectations are extremely high in life, where they're, they're looking to have their lives filled. And that's really where we see some of the most miraculous things in Jesus' ministry take place. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage of the scripture out of John chapter 2. If you want to turn to your Bibles, John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can take a look in your worship guide. There's a there's a kind of an outline there you can follow with all the scripture in it. If you don't have one of those, you can just read along on the screen. And this is what it says in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, I just want to stop right there because uh, this might not seem like that big of a deal to you that, hey, they, they got married and they're at the reception and they ran out of wine. So it's apparent that people got wine. So that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in what you got to understand in the Jewish culture, this was like a, a, a social travesty. This is like uh, one of the biggest no-nos that could possibly happen because the cultural implications of the Jewish culture were this. It was never really, when a wedding would take place in the Jewish culture, it was never really about the ceremony. The ceremony was important, but what was more important than the ceremony was the feast that happened afterwards. It was the party that happened after the ceremony. And so the fact that they're at the ceremony and they run out of wine is like a huge no-no. It would be like you getting married today and showing up to your reception in the or no showing like that would be a bad wedding like everybody'd be like uh this is not what i was looking for that would be a disaster of a wedding you want to talk about some expectations that are completely unmet and dashed in that moment and this story is really giving us a picture of something so much deeper because there's a jewish saying that says this without wine there is no joy Without wine, there is no joy. And some of y'all are like, that's my saying too, you know. <laughs> it's like, that's not what I'm talking about here though. And so, uh, but it's, without wine, there is no joy. In other words, there is this emptiness to your life that is missing. And in this story, wine is symbolic of joy. It's, it's the fact that we have some expectations that would bring us joy and they've been dashed and therefore we're living this empty life. And all of us, probably in some form or some fashion, live with some emptiness in life. We live with some dashed expectations. And a lot of us, we look at the external things and we think, man, it's all about those external things that didn't happen. And what Jesus is saying is, is yeah, there's an external thing. They're out of wine, but there's an internal thing that is so much more significant than the external. And that's that we've lost our joy. We've lost something inside because of a dashed expectation. 
And I know what it's like to see somebody lose that joy inside to a dashed expectation. Um, Shayla is the oldest of six kids, and her next sister is, is named Shannon. And uh, Shannon's uh, a couple years younger than her. And about 15 years ago, Shannon met the man of her dreams. His name was Mark. And uh, they built up this incredible relationship out of, out of the youth and college, college age at the church that we were serving at. And uh, eventually, Mark uh, asked Shannon to marry him. And, and what you got to understand about Shannon is, is ever since Shannon was a little kid, uh, and I've known her for the majority of her life. Shannon's dream in life was to get married and be a mom. That was, that was the goal of her life. I just want to get married one day and I want to be a mom. I want to be the best mom I can possibly be. I want to be the best wife I can possibly be. That was what she was building her life upon. And she thought, man, when I found this guy and we just so connected that this was the future I was going to have. And so uh, they, they had this uh, awesome engagement and it comes to their wedding day, and it's, it's this beautiful day. They're getting married at uh, some family property where most of the, the grandkids had gotten married in Shayla's family. And so uh, the day of the wedding, Sh Shannon's upstairs with Shayla and all the rest of her siblings, Shara and Shelly. Her parents had this thing for shh. I don't know what it was, but uh, maybe they just wanted their kids to be quiet. Shh. And they just all respond. So, uh, so they're getting ready for this, and... Uh, the wedding's about to happen at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's going to be an afternoon wedding. It's a beautiful day, sunny out. Everything's great. We, we, there's hundreds of guests that have shown up for this, this wedding ceremony. And uh, the only problem is, is that the groom has not yet showed up. The groomsmen are there, except for the groom and his best man, which is his brother. And, uh, and so we call him up, and we're like, hey, Mark, where are you at? And he's like, hey, I'm going to be running uh, last second because I went out and I did something romantic. I know Shannon's favorite car is a Dodge Viper. And so I went and rented a Dodge Viper so I could whisk her away in it. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's so romantic. You're a good dude, you know. And, and so he's like, I'm going to waste some time so that I roll up right at the last second so she sees it when she walks out to walk down the aisle. And, uh, and so... Uh, Five minutes till the wedding, Mark still hasn't arrived. I'm like, that dude really was talking about last second. And so finally it gets to 2 o'clock and Mark has not arrived yet. Five minutes after 2, Mark still is not there. And we get a phone call from the pastor who is supposed to be officiating the wedding who is also not there. And uh, we get a phone call and he calls in and says, hey, I was pulling out of my house and there is an accident right in front of my neighborhood, which is just a little bit further down the road from where the venue for the wedding was. And he said, I pulled over to see if they were okay. And uh, it was Mark in an accident. And so as Mark was driving this Dodge Viper past the venue to waste time, a dog ran out into the road and Mark, trying not to hit the dog, swerved the car, lost control, and hit a telephone pole. And he goes, hey, you need to tell Shannon. She needs to rush to uh, uh, Bayfront Medical Center in, in St. Petersburg. Uh, because Mark is being airlifted there right now. And I remember uh, the pastor's wife going upstairs and, and telling Shannon that, and Shannon and her parents jumping in a car and taking off her and her wedding dress to go see her fiancé. And Shayla and I gathering up all of her siblings and jumping in a minivan and following up about 15 minutes later. And I remember arriving at the hospital thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder how Mark's doing. I wonder if, if, if everything's going to be okay. And, and we're met out front by Shayla's parents who tell us that as Mark was being airlifted to the hospital, he died from internal complications. 
I mean, this is the kind of story that you hear about in movies. This isn't real life, but for our family, this is real life. I remember us going, where is Shannon? And them telling us she's in a room right off the lobby there. And us walking over to that room and looking inside this little glass opening in the room. And seeing Shannon banging her fists on the wall of this empty room going, why me? Why my life? Why my fiance? Why? Expectations dashed. Hope dashed. Now you might not have that kind of tragedy in your life. But some of you feel like you're in an empty room in your life. Going, why is this happening to me? Why is there this missing element that I've always wanted? And for you, everything may look great on the outside. It might look like you're successful, but yet there is this emptiness and there is this longing inside of you that has left you going, why? For others of you, you... You're in a state of depression. You're in a state of despair. And you're lonely and you're hurting and you're asking yourselves, why? What do I do now? And in those situations, I think it's so difficult when you're empty inside to have faith that you could possibly ever be full again in life. And so what happens when we're empty is we have a tendency to start to focus on our feelings instead of our faith. It's what a lot of us do. We start focusing on the feelings that we have. We start looking at the natural problems that we're facing in life and not the spiritual solution that God has for us. In fact, that's why Jesus' mother goes, man, when the wine was gone, when the wine was gone and, and we look at this situation that was in this story of this happy couple, they're newly married, but yet their focus is on this superficial situation that is happening in their lives and that's exactly what we do in life we go through some times in life and we're looking at the superficial circumstances of the life and we're allowing that perspective to cloud everything else in our life and all we can focus on and all we can see are the feelings that we have based on the circumstances that are around us and we start all of a sudden what we do is we start to think where in the world is god because we put the hater blockers on and we can't see anything else we can't even see God in those moments. And we end up being like Job in Job chapter 30, verse 20, where he says, man, I called you, oh God, but you never answer. And when I pray, you pay no attention and you think to yourself, man, God has abandoned me. God has left me. He's uh, just checked out of this. And we start blaming him for what's going on in our lives. And we tend to forget that God works in mysterious ways in life. And his ways are not always the ways that we think. His way of dealing with the situation is not always the solution that we would take. And when God gets delayed in those things, what we have a tendency to do at that moment because we're acting on our feelings rather than our faith is we tend to take matters into our own hands. We start to say, man, I need to take care of this problem. I need to go and take control of this situation. I mean, think about this story. Jesus and his mother are guests at this wedding. 
They don't have any place there. They don't have any responsibility there. But all of a sudden, Jesus' mom feels like she needs to go and get up all up and in somebody else's business. Anybody got some moms like that? They're always up in everybody else's business. And that's exactly how Jesus' mom is right here. She goes, Jesus' mother said to him, she, she kind of takes over the situation. We don't have any idea why she got involved. We don't know why she did. I mean, this was not her family. This was not her situation. But this is what I know. A lot of times when we're in difficult places and we're feeling empty, we get impatient with God and we feel like I need to take control. I need to take the reins because I can make this better. Isn't it true? We think, man, I can fix this whole situation. I can go and I can manipulate and I can do all these things. And it's going to turn out better. And what I've always found is anytime I start trying to take control, instead of making things better, I make things a heck of a lot worse. And for a lot of us, we think, man, I need to take control. And what we fail to realize is that control is the solution. We don't control anything. We want to control things, but we really don't. And when we're disappointed by the fact that we can't control that situation, what we have a tendency to do is we start to exaggerate the negative in that situation. Because listen... Mary didn't come to Jesus with hope and expectation. She wasn't like, hey, Jesus, this is a great opportunity for you to do something miraculous. She's just like, man, there's no more wine. She's like, there's nothing left. She's like in gloom and despair and agony and oh me and, and there's no hope. And when we go through difficult times in life, for a lot of us, we feel like there is no hope and that this is the end of the world. And we, we start thinking like the way David did in Psalm 116 three where he says the cords of death entangle me that's that's our perspective it feels like this world is choking me out he says the anguish of the grave came upon me and i was overcome with sorrow and trouble we feel like man i'm just overcome with all this stuff and then if we're having a really bad hair day like jeremiah was what we do is we go man why was i born was it only to have trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace and we got to be careful about exaggerating the negative. we got to be careful about living in that place. And here's how do you know if you're living in that place. If you're talking to God in your prayer life more about your problem than you're talking about how big your God is to your problem. That's how you know if, if the negative has started to become the majority in your life. And this is what I know is that we've all faced problems. We've all faced problems moments where we need a miracle from God and we need him to fill up the emptiness in our life. We need him to turn our water into wine so that we can have joy again in our lives instead of going through this life empty and unfulfilled and trying to run on empty. And I believe that in this story, there are some principles that if we will to grab hold of them, that there are principles that not only applied in that day, but they apply in this day, that we will see God do the miraculous in our life, and we will see God fill us with joy and peace and faith and, and long-suffering and everything we need for the situation we're in. And so i got three things for you here today. And the first one is this, is we need to do what Jesus says to do. Pretty simple. We need to do what Jesus says to do. Uh, Mary all of a sudden remembers that Jesus, her son, works in strange ways. And this is what she said in verse 5. He says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, why in the world would Mary say that? 
because she knows that whatever Jesus is going to say is going to sound crazy to them, but they just need to be obedient to it. And if they'll just be obedient to it, something miraculous will take place. It's kind of like this. Back in the day when I was a kid, there was a game that we played called Simon Says. Anybody ever played Simon Says? Like Simon Says, pat your head, pat your head. Simon Says, pat your head. You know, you pat your head. Rub your belly. Okay, nobody's rubbing their belly. Good. You, you, guys, you guys knew how Simon Says worked. If Simon says it, you do it. If Simon doesn't say it, you don't do it. The problem is, is while we learned how to play Simon Says, we never learned how to play Jesus Says. And so what we do is we go, Jesus says, and instead of doing what Jesus says, we memorize what Jesus says. Or we theologize what Jesus says. Or we go do a Bible study on what Jesus says. We go figure out the Greek and the Hebrew of what Jesus says. But never do we actually go do what Jesus says. And we're wondering why the miracle isn't taking place in our life. And, and here's the deal, man. She's saying don't theologize it. Don't internalize it. Just go be obedient to it. I've been around, Mary's like, I've been around long enough to know that if you'll just do what he says, it'll blow your mind. See, she knew what Isaiah, what it said in Isaiah where God was talking and he says, this plan of mine is not what you would work out. Check that out. God's plan ain't going to be your plan. His way is not going to be your way. He says, neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. See, God's got a totally different solution to your problem than you do. He's got a totally different way of dealing with it. And the way he wants you to deal with it is he wants you to be obedient to him. See, the problem is, is we want to understand everything before we do anything. Isn't that the truth? Like, God, I need to understand. Why do, why do I need to do that? Because I said so. That's what God would say to you. Any parents ever use that line? Their kids are like, why? Because I said so, right? Like, that's, that's the best answer. Because I said so. Listen, if he says so, there's a reason. Like, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is a blind guy comes to Jesus and and Jesus spits in the mud and says, put it in your eyes. And that guy could have went like, like well, I, help me understand why I need to put that eye in, in my eyes. He could have done that and he probably would have never received a miracle. But what he did is he, he took the mud, he stuck it in his eyes and all of a sudden he could see. A lot of us, we're, we're wanting to understand what God wants to do and God's just wanting us to be obedient to what he says. And if we'll just be obedient to what he says, we'll find out that we're not living an empty life any longer, but we're living a full life. So we need to realize that he's not looking for us to be educated. He's looking for us to be obedient. Second thing is we need to focus on what God wants to do in us or in you. Uh, verse 6, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And so here's what happens is Jesus takes this opportunity to not just solve uh, the problem that's at hand, but to talk to a different problem that every single one of us are facing. This is what I call, like, Jesus has given us a twofer. Like, he's just breaking it down. And so what he does is he goes, hey, he, he looks at the situation, and he sees that there are these jars that are there for ceremonial washing. Because here's the deal. Every single person is trying to fix the external thing in their life. And he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of the external thing. I'm going to take care of turning water into wine. 
The problem is, is that a lot of us, we think that our problem is an external problem. We think the problem is, is that we don't have enough money for a month. We think that the problem is, is that we haven't found that special someone. We think the problem is, is that we're not on the right career path right at the moment. And that's why we're empty. And yes, that might cause some emptiness in your life. But there is a deeper issue than just the exterior. It's an interior thing. And so what I want to do is not just something outside of you. I want to do something inside of you. I want to do a greater work inside of you. And the reason you're not experiencing your miracle today, and the reason maybe you're not experiencing the fullness in your life today, is because I'm holding that up because I'm trying to do something inside of you so it can sustain the thing that I'm going to do outside of you. Because if I don't get the character inside of you correct, then when that blessing externally comes, you're not going to be able to sustain it or contain it. And so we need to get this thing fixed first, and this might cause some difficulty in your life externally so that internally you're going to handle the promise that I have for you. In fact, that's, that's what 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 talks about. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Some of you are like, that's, that's me right there. I'm suffering grief. I'm in all kinds of trials right now. And he goes on to say, they have come so that your faith, what is faith? It's something internal. You're suffering some external trials so that something internal, which is of greater worth than gold, something external, which perishes, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. See, God is trying to reveal something inside of you. He's trying to do something deep down inside before he does something outside. And so instead of going to God and praying, God, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? Maybe you need to go to God and go, God, what am I missing that you're trying to do inside of me that I haven't yet realized? What is the work that you're trying to refine and define inside of me that is so much more valuable than what I perceive to be my problem. And you just go, God, I'm all ears to that. Help me to see that. And number three, this is most important. We have to draw out to fill up. We've got to draw out to fill up. And so uh, we got to realize that God's trying to do something internally inside of us. And in verse 7, which isn't in your notes, it says, Jesus told them to go fill the pots with water. The ceremonial washing pots. He goes and fills them with water. And then in verse 8, he says, he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, here's what's amazing. And here's what blew my mind because I've always pictured this and I, I've never really truly studied this out until this past week. I always thought that the, the water got turned into wine when he, he, he put the water in the pots. But that isn't what happened in the story. Some of you are like, really? No, every theologian will tell you the miracle didn't play, take place when the water was put in the pots. The miracle took place when they went and they drew the water out. What was water all of a sudden became wine when that person tasted it. Now, now, you need to get the implication of that. What that means is the miracle has already taken place. It's just waiting for us to draw out and partake of for our lives. See, the problem is, is a lot of us, we're sitting back and we're like, God, do a miracle. And what we fail to realize is that Jesus already did a miracle on the freaking cross. 
He's just waiting for us to go and draw out the miracle for our lives and to drink it up that we can fill up on that miracle. And some of you are like, well, how do I do that? It's exactly what Shayla talked about last week. We have a decision every day to get into God's word. That's how we draw out the miracle that God wants to fill us up with. It's, it's when we go and we spend time in prayer that God wants us to draw out his spirit into our lives and speak to us and talk to us and refine us and define us. It's when we get involved in community that we're drawing out the miracle that God has already done to do the miraculous in our lives. And God is trying to draw it out in us. And what we fail to realize is that everything we need is already sitting right in front of us. It's already right there. In fact, I, I love this next part. It, it says, they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, what I love is that the guy who tasted didn't even know where it had come from, but the servants knew where the miracle took place because they were the ones who drew it out. And here's the problem for a lot of us is a lot of us, we're waiting for God to do a miracle and we're coming to church on a weekly basis and I'm all for us coming to church. Like, I'm all about that. But what you need to realize is this wine that you're tasting right here is regurgitated wine. See, this is the wine that I drew out on my own and I took a drink of it, and man, it's, it filled my soul. And then I'm coming here, and I'm spitting that back out. And you're tasting it, and you're going, man, that's great. Well, I hope you are, at least. But how much sweeter and how much better would that wine be if you got it yourself? What if you went down with your cup and got that revelation? What if you went down with your cup and started drinking from the well that does not run dry? would happen in your life how much more full and satisfied would you be from God and I believe that God is still in the the miracle working business and he wants to do a miracle in your life and fill you up and and here's the best news of it all for every single one of us the best is yet to come I truly believe that with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength because in, in verse 10 it says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. I love the fact that, that God doesn't give us the best right away. He, he saves it. He waits till we draw it out. As we draw out more and more, man, he's got something better and something sweeter and something greater and something more filling and satisfying than we could ever imagine. And the best way I can relate this is, is uh, my mom is an incredible cook. Uh, my mom owned restaurants and catering businesses and bars. And, and now that, that she's a little bit older, like she's still in the catering kind of business mentality. When she cooks a meal, she doesn't know how to cook for like two or three people. She knows how to cook for like 200. And so anytime we're with my mom, everything is like this unbelievable gourmet meal it's like over the top like how did you pull that out of our our kitchen like we don't even have good ingredients and somehow yet you made this masterpiece 
And my mom is a little bit old school in the fact that when she makes a meal, she's like, she's constantly making sure you have enough on your plate. She's setting everything up. And as you're finishing meal, she's clearing those plates. Like she's like, you don't dare touch that plate. Like that's her job. And when you get done eating and you eat so much, most of the time you just kind of like lean back and just kind of try to get a breath because you're so full. You're like, man, that was the most incredible meal, mom that you just served, that we just got to partake in. And, and as she's clearing plates, sometimes she'll come by and she'll lean down and she'll go, baby, you better keep your fork. Now, anytime my mom says, keep your fork, man, you go and you grab that fork right away. And you put it down next, next to where everything gets cleared off because what that means is that mom has got something sweeter, something better, something a little special that is gonna blow your minds for desserts. And if you thought dinner was good, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I believe that God would say to you today, listen, man, if, if you'll just do what I say, you'll realize that I'm trying to do a deeper work in you rather than around you. And you'll start to dip out. There is something so much sweeter and so much better. And here's what I would tell you. Keep your fork today, church. Keep your fork. Make sure you're drawing in all that God has. And God has got something so much bigger and so much better and so much sweeter and so much more satisfying and filling than all of those things that you're longing for. He's got a peace that surpasses understanding. He's got a hope that fills up the hopeless. He's got a joy that is uncontainable. The question is, is will you take part in the work that's already finished for